Hey, um, in the 1940s, a famous psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow, if you're a psych student or working as a psych, you probably have heard of his name. But anyway, he was very influential because he identified five basic life goals that drive all human beings, all right? Because we are unlike animals. Animals just live on instinct and survival, whereas human beings, well, we want meaningful and purposeful lives. We don't just have needs, but also goals, desires, and dreams, and our happiness and health depend on it. If you take meaning and purpose away, a person will shrivel up and die. So that's Abraham Maslow. I think we'll all agree with that. But what happens when you take that idea and you turn it into a computer game? Well, someone actually did, because the creator of The Sims, who's ever played The Sims? Hands up if you've ever played The Sims. It's been around for 20 years, okay? That's how long. And it's still popular. People can make money off this game, right? By doing stuff that people will buy so that they can... Anyway, if you don't know what The Sims is, it's basically a life simulator. It's open-ended. It's your virtual life game. 20 years ago it came out, but it's actually still popular. Now, what's the attraction? Well, for some... They just like the idea of playing God and mucking around. So for this person, said on The Sims, I had 12 kids with eight different women, became president, then died when I tried cooking spaghetti. 10 out of 10. That's his review. Um, But for others, it's actually really great to be able to be someone and do something in the virtual world that seems meaningful and impactful and perhaps more so than in your real life. Because in this world, there are fewer limitations. So someone um, got into it again after not playing for about 10 years, and she loves the fact that in the Sims world, she can afford to buy a house. And in Sydney, she can't. Okay, so there you go. Uh, But its popularity reminds us that human beings can't help but make meaning. We have to live with purposes. Now, whether that's in real life or virtually. Just this, uh, just this week, just on Thursday, you'll know that the Australia Day Awards, um, the Australian of the Year, went to a lady called Taryn Brumfit. Um, and in her acceptance speech, did you notice she said this? Um, she's famous for, um, uh, for, for body image campaigning. She said this, Australia, it is not our life's purpose to be at war with our body. We have 28,000 days on the planet if we're really lucky, and we're not meant to spend them at war with our bodies. When you take your final breath on this earth, what thoughts will be going through your mind? What will you be thinking about? No one has ever said to me the size of their bum. All right? So how would you finish that sentence? So it's not the size of my bum, but what is going to be going through your head? What will you be thinking about? What would you say is the purpose and meaning of your life? Well, we're going to have a look at that. And the first thing I want to just examine is the idea of meaning and how it's tied to purpose. See, what what do we mean when we talk about meaning in life? I think we get purpose, but meaning is sort of a bigger category. So what does meaning mean? Well, when we ask for the meaning of, say, anything, an object, for example, we're asking two things, aren't we? We're asking, what is it? And then we're asking, what is it for? Okay? What is it? What is it for? Something that you can define what it is and what it's for, that has meaning. I'll give you an example. These two sticks, all right? Y'all know what that is. What is it? They're chopsticks. What is it there for? Believe it or not, to eat with. And if you're not a good chopstick user, believe it or not, it's actually much easier eating rice with chopsticks out of a bowl than with a fork. Isn't that true? Right? Because you shovel. That's how you do it. Okay. Chopsticks, you know what it is. You know what it's for. That's the meaning of chopsticks. It's not there, you know, to 
be firewood, though it could be. It's not there to stab your sibling in the eye, though you could do that. All right? A chopstick's meaning is to be used for food. Now, that's the same in life, right? Someone has meaning in life when they have significance. In other words, fancy way of saying, you know who you are, right? Who you are matters. Who you are matters. That's significance. And someone has meaning in life when they have purpose. And there's that idea of purpose, right? We want to know that what we do matters. Significance and purpose. So, when it comes to meaning and purpose in life, I think there are basically three options. Three options. The first is that there is no meaning. You see, if there is no God, if you are an atheist, then what really you believe in is that we human beings, in fact everything, is just a matter of stuff plus time. Okay, Matter plus time plus chance. Right, 13 billion years ago, however long ago, that's what happened. It, it could have been otherwise, but it turned out the way it is. But it's just matter plus time plus chance. Now, if that's what you believe, and because there is no God, that's, that's, what it, that's what you have to believe, then really there is no significance and there is no purpose and there is no meaning because we are a cosmic accident. Even atheists admit that. We are a cosmic accident. An accident, by definition, has no meaning, does it? Now, if you don't believe me, why don't you hear what Richard Dawkins, the famous uh, biologist and atheist, says? He says, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So that's the first view. There is no meaning. Search for meaning and purpose. It's just an illusion, just something to make us happy, but really there isn't. That's pretty depressing, and most people won't believe that. So most people go for some sort of self-made meaning. All right, if nature and evolution, even religion, can't give us good answers on meaning, then, well, we can make our own, can't we? So, my significance is self-created. And that's really true nowadays, isn't it? You can be whoever you want to be, right? Don't let society, don't even let genetics dictate who you want to be, right? You be you, self-created. Our purpose also becomes self-created. Find your passion Make your own goals. Again, don't listen to what other people want. Pursue what you want and be happy. Now, this is, let's admit it, a very appealing, a very popular view of meaning. In fact, that may be how you operate. And I'm definitely not going to tell you that you can't have a meaningful life if that's your view. Plenty of people can and do create their meaning, significance and purpose, and are generally happy. However... I do want to suggest that this view of meaning and this view of purpose and meaning-making is fragile. That is, it breaks easily. It breaks easily. And maybe you're here watching or in person, and maybe you do have that niggling suspicion that, yeah, it is a bit fragile, and maybe it's been too fragile for you to sustain. I'll tell you why it's fragile in three areas. Firstly, intellectually. Now, as I said, not a lot of people live with that first view of no meaning. But honestly, if you are an atheist, or at least if atheism is possible, which it is, isn't it? That there is no God. If you're going to be consistent and intellectually consistent, right? Really, there is no meaning. I mean, you could tell yourself that you can have a meaningful life because you create meaning for yourself, but you actually have to almost switch off your brain because rationally, according to the atheistic view of the world, Time plus matter plus chance 
who we are in a random universe, as Richard Dawkins says, really has no design, has no purpose, and has no ultimate meaning. That's the intellectually consistent way. See, if you think about it, on a long enough timeline, we're not even talking about one or two generations, even 100 years. Think about it. I mean, the, the, the universe has been around for 13 billion years, or however many billion years it is. So let's think in millions of years. Will who you are and what you do actually matter? See, I don't matter how famous you are now. doesn't matter if you've left a legacy for a few thousand years, someone like Julius Caesar. In a million years, who cares? Or you may pursue for your purpose and meaning success or pleasure or knowledge, but won't there always be a niggling sense of doubt behind you that intellectually it's just not good enough if we're just time plus matter plus chance? See, intellectually it's pretty fragile. It's also socially fragile. See, if we're all responsible for making our own meanings in life, then what happens when my meaning conflicts with your meaning? Like, for example, I, hypothetically speaking, I want to, my purpose in life is to pursue security and wealth. And in order to do that, I will do so at the expense of some of the less fortunate in the world. Right? I have a factory in Sri Lanka. Uh, Bangladesh, sorry, and they make really cheap clothing. Yeah, but it makes me pretty wealthy. I have a billion dollar um, assets, I have a boat, I live in the eastern suburbs, that's how I make my money, that's my purpose, and I fulfill that. But what if your purpose in life is to alleviate poverty and to get rid of the sweatshops in Bangladesh? And that's your pursuit and meaning. Now, I think we'd all side with person B, right? But on what basis can you say that person B's alleviate poverty meaning is good, but person A's security and wealth is bad? Did you see what I mean? On what basis can you say that is preferable to that? Because all we have are personal, subjective, you make your own meanings. Then the most you can say is your meaning is different to my meaning. That's all you can say, which means it's socially it's very antisocial, really. Um, you guys know Steve Jobs, the founder, late founder of Apple, changed our lives. I mean, you could say that he led a very meaningful and very impactful life. Yet, if you've ever read any biographies or watched any biographies of him, he was basically a real jerk, right? With a capital J to the people around him. His ex-wife, his daughter, his meaning-making destroyed others. Now, again, on what basis can you judge that? if all there is is self-made meanings. Do you see what I mean? Do we just have to say, well, you know, he made good tech products, he's changed the world, therefore that's okay. Like, it's socially fragile. Thirdly, I want to suggest self-made meanings and purpose are experientially fragile. Like, can it actually work in experience if I just define myself and make... For example, if I was born short, like five foot short, Right? I may decide that my purpose in life is to play professional basketball for the NBA. But you know what? I cannot fight genetics. It just won't happen. I mean, you do get relatively short people playing for the NBA, but they're like my height, because that's short. You don't get people who are 150 centimeters playing for the NBA. It just doesn't happen. You see, even our self-made meanings and purposes do have limitations. Like, be anyone you want to be is pretty much a lie, and I think we all know it, right? Also, self-made meaning and purpose, well, it's really easily broken when life hits you with its challenges, yeah? 
I'll give you an example. A lot of us here, look around, I mean, we're migrant kids, right? right? Migrant parents, they make it their meaning in life to pursue what's best for their children. And they go through a lot to do that. Education, career. But you know, I've talked to so many migrant parents and they're so disillusioned and hurt because their kids that they've sacrificed everything for now resent them or abandon them or just use them. Now again, if meaning is self-made, on what basis do you say which one is right or not? But experientially, it's fragile. They poured all of their efforts into that and now they barely have a relationship with their children. Or what if you pursue fitness and health and then you get a diagnosis of cancer? Or you pursue your career only to have your marriage break down? Or you pursue wealth only to have another global downturn? It all goes like this. You see, self-made meanings are experientially hard to survive in real life. It's fragile. So are those the only two choices we've got? No meaning or a fragile self-made meaning? Well, of course, there is a third option, and it's an option that Christians particularly, but not just Christians, but people who believe in God, particularly take. Oh, by the way, um, you'll see a co- uh, sorry, a URL for questions, and I will be um, answering as many questions as possible. It doesn't have to be related to today's talk. It can be related to anything um, about Christianity, the Bible. Just feel free to do that, and we'll do that at the end. But for Christians, especially, and that's why I'm here to, to help you consider, meaning is not from yourself, but it's from God. And in the Christian worldview, that makes perfect sense because we have a creator who designed us, who is in control. And if he made us, then he knows what we're there for and who we are. And so meaning is assigned. Who we are and what we're supposed to do is being given by God. Now, today I'm going to invite you to consider a trade, right? Consider a trade. That is, trade your self-made meanings which may be fragile, for one, traded for one that's given by God. Now, of course, when I say that, I, I, I know that it's not going to sound very appealing to modern minds, right? God assigns my meaning, right? I've got to give up my treasured freedom and autonomy. It's not worth it. I'd rather have a fragile meaning than give my life to God and let Him define me. And if you were here last week, it was all on freedom, right? Now, I get that. There's nothing we treasure quite as much as freedom in our day and age. But what if I could introduce you to a God who not only made you, but actually loves you deeply and unconditionally, and who would give up everything to give you a better and a new meaning? A God who sacrificially puts you and your interests above his own. If I can introduce you to such a God, would you consider a trade? Well, I'm going to do that just now by um, coming back to that passage that we read earlier before, because Christians believe that God became a man. Now, you can ask me about that later on, why we believe that Jesus is actually God, but let's just for a moment assume it's true, that God actually didn't stay up in heaven far, far away. He actually became a man, and that was Jesus. I want to show you in this encounter of Jesus and this particular guy, we'll call him Zach, just the kind of God we're talking about. All right, let's, uh, let's, let me read again because it's a while since we read it. So it's on the screen. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, so we meet Zach. Well, Zach was searching for meaning. Uh, There's something called the Napoleon complex. I don't know if you've heard. Napoleon was supposedly a short man and he compensated for his shortness by conquering half of Europe. Um, That's apparently, studies have shown that shorter men are more likely to Try and compensate by being jealous husbands and boyfriends. I'm so sorry if you are a shorter man, uh, if you're married to one. Anyway, um, now I don't know if that's true in general, but Zacchaeus certainly had the Napoleon complex, right? He tried to compensate for his insignificance, his height. And so look how he tried to make meaning. Who he is, significance. Well, he was not very significant because he was short. Um, He probably grew up ignored, unpopular, one of those kids, bullied. So he made it his mission in life to stand out from the crowd in other ways. And we do that too, right? Right? If you can't succeed in one aspect of life, you try to overcompensate in another. Well, that's Zacchaeus. And what about his purpose? What he does? Well, what did he do? He made money. That was his purpose. Wealth was his purpose and meaning. And just yet, how fragile was that? His self-made purpose and meaning was so fragile. Intellectually... It's so fragile. I mean, how can, how can money fill up the holes in your self-esteem? It just can't, right? It socially, it was fragile. It was very damaging to others what he decided to make his purpose in life. Tax collectors were known as national traders. He was a Jew, right? He sided with the Romans to collect taxes for the overlords. That's bad. But tax collectors were also known to be corrupt. They all take, took a skim off the top. They were cheats. Socially, It was very, very fragile. Experientially, well, it hadn't brought him happiness. Clearly, he's not happy. See, Zach's search for meaning, self-made, had absolutely hit a dead end. But look what Zacchaeus was willing to do. He was willing to trade. He was willing that day to trade both of his self-made significance and self-made meaning purpose. So his significance, Zach was willing to be a fool. Right? He threw caution to the wind. He didn't care what other people thought. He was willing to be a fool to meet Jesus. And so you've got this really comical scene that we read earlier. You've got a grown man climbing a tree to see Jesus because he's too short to see over the crowd. All right? Like that is, that's crazy, isn't it? Like even, we wouldn't even do that nowadays. How much more so for the people in Jesus' day, Jewish men, would absolutely not climb a tree. It makes the behavior of the worst K-pop fan seem actually a little bit normal. He threw dignity to the wind. He didn't care. He was willing to trade. But he also was willing to trade his purpose. Because at the end of that encounter, we read that he was willing to trade all of his wealth, all that he had ever lived for, all that he accumulated. He says, I'm going to give it all away. I can imagine all the people that actually were cheated by Zacchaeus. Oh, whoa, cool. I get four times what he cheated me. That's awesome, right? They would now be rich. He wouldn't. He didn't care. He was willing to trade both his significance and his purpose. And why would he be willing to do that? Well, because Jesus was going to give him something far better, right? See, Zach, he gave up his significance, but he got a much better one. 
even as he climbed the tree above the crowd, Jesus saw him. That's a really beautiful turning point. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus and Jesus didn't laugh. Jesus didn't make fun of Zacchaeus. In fact, Jesus called him by name. Do you know how many people Jesus calls by name in the gospel accounts, the biographies of Jesus' life? Only a couple. Zacchaeus is one of them. Imagine that. This famous rabbi, everyone's crowding around to see him, the celebrity, and he calls you by name. I have a friend, uh, since she was quite young, a big fan, she was a big fan of Delta Goodrum. Um, so much so that she's actually met Delta on a number of occasions. And nowadays, Delta and her are kind of first name basis. If she's in a crowd, Delta will see her, pick her out, and come give her a hug and take a photo with her. That's, she knows Joe by name. Right, it's pretty special when it's a celebrity. How much more so when it's Jesus? Um, and here it's not just honor. Uh, it's actually significance, all right? Because you think, remember we said Jesus is God come in flesh? God, the infinite creator God, come as a man. And of all people that day, he picks Zacchaeus out. And he says to him in front of everyone, he says, I see you. I know you. You are important to me. Like, that is significance, hey? I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good trade, his self-made significance for something like that, for the God of the universe to call you by name. Well, he gave up his old purpose, making money at the expense of, well, look what he traded it for, a much better purpose. Jesus says to him, I've got to stay at your house today. Right now, that's Jesus uh, was a traveling preacher. He didn't have a home of his own. Um, and when he says, I've got to stay at your house, it's not just for practical reasons, because he could have asked anyone. Um, this was a high hospitality culture. And so when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, it's actually initiating a relationship. It's saying, I, Zach, I want to be part of your life. I want you to be part of my life. You see, he was giving Zach a new purpose in life. Now, instead of money, wealth, Zach had a new relationship, a friendship with the God who made him and loves him, who wants to be with his life. Like, what could be better to live for than that kind of relationship if you know what it's like to be in love? There's nothing more wonderful than love, isn't it? When you find someone who you actually want to spend the rest of your life knowing and loving and getting to know, that's pretty good. That's about as close to heaven as it gets in this life in terms of purpose. Well, how much more so when you get to be in a relationship with a God who made you and loves you? All right, so God came that day, he met Zacchaeus, and he gave him new meaning, significance, and purpose. No wonder he was willing to make a trade. And by the way, did you notice that little detail at the end where it says, Zach stood up? Right, he stood up and he said, Lord, this short man now stood tall because he now had what he was always searching for. So, come back to you. Are you willing to trade? Are you willing to trade either the no-meaning view of life or the fragile self-meaning? Trade it for one that can't be taken away. You see, I can't go into all the details now, and you feel free to ask questions, but the meaning that Jesus gives, the purpose that Jesus gives is intellectually secure. Remember, the fragile is intellectually, socially, experientially fragile. Well, this is secure because once you understand that you are not an accident, right? God may have brought about the universe by evolution. 
completely open to that, of course. But it's not an accident. It's not time plus slime. It's that you were created. You were designed. He was sovereign over all of those processes. And most importantly, you're loved. And most of all, you were created to have a deep and meaningful relationship and a satisfying relationship with a God who made you. Right? That's what he created all of us for. And that's why when we you know, love someone in life, it doesn't have to be a spouse or a partner. It can just be a friend or parent. Why is it that love gives us a deeper connection to the transcendent, to heaven, to meaning and purpose than anything else in this world? It's because ultimately we were created to be loved by God and to love Him in return. That's intellectually secure, socially secure. Because this man, Jesus, who gives you new meaning, he also redefined what it meant to put others first, all right? When your self-made meaning is just an excuse to be selfish in this, Jesus says, the meaning I give you, remember what Jesus says? He came not to be served, but to serve. He completely turned upside down what it meant to be first. The first will be last. The last will be first, right? He was the one who famously said, don't do to other people or do to others what you would have them do to you. It's an other person-centered purpose and meaning. It's socially, I mean, Christians don't always live it out, definitely. We'll probably see more of that next week. But actually what Jesus offers, at least the standard, the ideal, is so socially wonderful, isn't it? And experientially true and secure. Who you are, what you're made for is not conditional. It's not performance-based. That's really wonderful. Because when you set your own meaning and it's performance-based and you fail, it's brutal. Because often we can forgive other people, we just can't forgive ourselves, right? That's why people take failure so, diff- so, so harshly. Because when you fail yourself and you are the one who made the meaning, there's very little forgiveness, But what Jesus gives you is unconditional, it's not performance-based, and no one can take it away, not even death itself. So this is what Jesus offers, and I'm asking you today, are you willing to trade? It takes a lot of trust, but I want to suggest it's well-placed trust, even though I'm asking you to do as Zacchaeus did and really give it all in Jesus' hands. But it's well-placed trust because I want to say firstly, I'm going to point B, because Jesus made a trade for you. Did you know that? When Jesus asks you and I to give up our self-made significance and purposes in exchange for the one he gives us, he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't himself done. Remember, Jesus is God who became a man, which means that he laid aside the rights of what it means to be God, who he is, and what he could do. He laid that aside. He traded it to become a man. He traded his dignity for humiliation. He traded his power for weakness. He went to the cross. He had nails driven through his hands and feet, and he made the ultimate trade. And what's that? He traded his life for ours. God traded his life for ours. His perfection for your brokenness. He took the punishment for the way that we've broken our relationship with God and each other and our world, and He bore it all in our place. That's what He traded. So that He could, as we read in Luke 19, verse 10, He could come and seek and save the lost. See, is this Jesus? Is this God who's asking you to make the trade today? Your self-directed meaning-making that is so very, very fragile, trade it. It's a good trade. Trade it. For what he gives you, something that death can't even take away. 
So what's next? Well, for most people, I encourage you to come back and find out more. Well, we've got one more week of the searching series, but even after that, come out, come back. We, we, um, we make it a habit of this church of really looking at the Bible, and we're going to keep looking at Jesus straight after these series. So come back. But also I want to invite you to Alpha. You'll hear a little bit more about a testimony on video in a moment. But Alpha is something I'm hosting at my house, dinner, discussion. It's completely free. Week one of Alpha. And if you're not sure you can come to more than one week, just come to the first week and decide then. But I want you to come over. Only a small group um, can fit in my lounge room, but I'd love for as many people as... Come on, find out, because week one is, is there more to life? Okay, so continue the discussion. Come to Alpha. Um, there is a, a link to register, um, and it's completely free. It starts February the 12th. But maybe for some, you are here, and you're actually, you're like, yeah, I'm ready today. Like, I don't want to fight it anymore. And maybe you've been to church for a long time, but you've never really clicked for you. You may have even called yourself a Christian, but it's never really clicked for you until today. But maybe you're completely new, or maybe you haven't really been to church much. But maybe today is like, yes, I want what Zacchaeus found. I want to make that trade. And if that's you, it's not going to be a lot of you. It's probably only going to be some of you. I want to give you an opportunity to do that because why wait? Eh? Zacchaeus didn't wait that day. He climbed a tree. Today, you don't have to climb a tree. You just have to say a prayer. So I'm going to show you a prayer. Um, it's very simple. It's not magical. But it's the kind of things that you might want to say to Jesus if today you want to make a trade. And if this is you, in a moment, I'm going to pray it out loud. You don't have to say anything out loud. Just do it in your head. I'll leave a gap between each line. But if you'd like to pray this with me, it's all yours. That's all it takes, right, for you to tell Jesus that. Now, just to make it easy for those who actually want to pray something like this, if I can just get everyone to look down, maybe at their feet, bow their heads, you can pray something appropriate in your circumstance. But if you do want to pray this with me, as I do it now, just repeat it in your head quietly to God. Let's do that. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to make my life meaningful without you. I know that's hurt you and others and myself. Please forgive me. Thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose again so I can be forgiven. Please come into my life and change it. I want a relationship with you to begin today. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing in a moment, but let me just say, if, if you did pray that and for you that was a significant first time, uh, we would love to know about that. Later on when it comes to uh, the, the survey, which I'll get the response, sorry, feedback form, um, we'll give you an opportunity to indicate that in some way. But anyway, let's, uh, let's sing and then I'll come back and uh, answer some questions.